0: been in a series on offense and uh out of all the things that i've preached in the years this has been the most fruitful probably the most painful probably the most guarded thing that the enemy wants to keep people bound in um yet the most fruitful in ministry and so today is palm sunday and uh you know, back in, the, back in the day, we would bring palm branches and lay them up front, and that's awesome. We can do that next year, whatever. I don't care. The team can do whatever they want with all that. But um, I want to share with you the story that you already know, the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus. But I want to give it to you with a historical context. I want to give it to you with a relevant application today. And then I want to define... Why you're here. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, you can see pictures, you can see videos, and for those of you who watched The Chosen and all those videos about all the movies, it's amazing how the gifts of God are being released on the body to be able to produce videos that make it so real. You put it on the screen and it's like you're there, right? And, uh, and so it was, it was this time when the people of Jerusalem... We're celebrating a king. Now, it is stated that there were three million people in Jerusalem on that day. Three million. I remember when the Cavs won the title. There wasn't three million people there. I remember there's three million people in the city when Jesus is being welcomed in to the city. And I don't know, I'm sure that there's some crowd counter, but I remember the the talking about the Million Man March in Washington. That was a third of what was in that city. Many, many, many people were there. But it got me thinking about a portion of those people were there to celebrate him, and we'll talk about what they said, but five days later, there weren't three million people celebrating Jesus. Their tone had changed, their voice had changed, their words had changed, and they went from saying, Hosanna, the king, to crucify him. I believe that today we have to understand that it's a very short walk from Hosanna, king of kings, to crucify him. So how can people shout, On Sunday, Hosanna, King of Kings, and on Friday, crucify him. On Sunday, they accept him as the Messiah, and on Friday, they crucify him as a traitor. Turn with me to Matthew 21. We're going to read this morning a lot of different things, so hang on with me. Write down the references. Go back and reread them later. We're not teaching this morning this concept we're just going to review it a little bit and then go on to what the lord has to say but if you if you have a moment this week i was i was actually talking with somebody about a small group thing that's going on in the church and they were like you know this this study is for every day for six days and we're going to spread it out over a month and and all this stuff and i'm like make it every day for six days and make them read it six times in a row isn't, like, isn't it that we're always trying to make it easier for people? Maybe that's just me. I look at our staff like we're trying to make it easier for people to get to Jesus. Yes. The problem is there's a price that you have to pay to be with him. So let's not water down what we're going to talk about today. And let's just be honest and find ourselves in the story because we're all in this story. We're all in this story. So Matthew 21 We're going to start in verse 1. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately they will send them. This is the only place in Matthew where Jesus uses the word Lord to describe himself. We're already in chapter 21. All the things that he's done, all the miracles, all the stuff that's happened, all the the divine appointments, all the healings, all the stuff, and this is the first time that he declares, I'm Lord. And he's talking to his disciples. He's not even declaring that to the world. He's just saying to a couple disciples, the Lord has need of it all throughout this goes against everything Jesus has done to this point because if you go back through the miracles and you just read through Matthew most of the time when something happens miraculous in his life when he does a miracle what happens he tells everybody Shh, it's not my time it's not my time yet it's not my time yet don't tell anybody go wash in the river. go do the thing but don't tell anybody what happened don't tell who talked to you When he healed the man that we talked about last week at the pool, the man didn't even know who he was. That some guy came and talked to me and I got up and left and I don't know. And then Jesus went back and clarified because the religious people put him in a box. So this is the only instance, the first instance I should say in Matthew where Jesus actually declares his position. And there's a significance to why he would declare his position in this moment. Because the world is about to declare his position. Now, I love that Caitlin brought up the donkey. Because this is the only instance in Matthew where he actually rides an animal. That's really interesting. He rides an animal. Why in the world would he ride an animal? He could have just walked in. Well, if you remember in 2 Samuel 19, this act that Jesus is doing of riding in on an animal is done to recreate the return of David coming into Jerusalem. It was also how Solomon entered into Jerusalem for his enthronement in 1 Kings 1. There's no coincidences in the kingdom. You're here today because God has a word for you. He has a word for you. Don't ever mistake that you were, you were at the mall and this person came up to you and said something that, that they could have never known. Don't think that it was just a coincidence. There is a purpose for everything. Now on both occasions, David and Solomon, they rode in on a, a donkey or a mule, different translations, but this is the symbolic fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus was gonna come and actually execute. So they were the forerunners of what was going to happen. So it, it literally had to happen this way. Verse 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. So Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to present himself formally as Lord, ruler, controller, All authority. It's very interesting that he's coming to present himself as the Messiah. He's doing it as the Old Testament prophets did it. But he also is doing it as the prophets foretold that he would do it. This wasn't him saying, oh, go find me a mule to ride in on. No, he's fulfilling everything. He has a purpose for everything. Now, you say, well, where was that prophesied? Well, Zechariah 9.9 was 500 years before this. 500 years before prophesied Jesus would come in on a donkey. Isaiah 62 11, 700 years prior to Jesus coming in. You can go read those. I won't do that right now. So let's continue to verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. Now, Only rulers would ride a donkey into the city in a time of peace. So not only is this the prophetic act of what the Old Testament said was going to happen, in that day, a ruler of any sort would be the only one on a mule in a time of peace. So not only is he fulfilling prophecy, he's actually in that day and age doing something that says that he's a ruler. We can look at all of scripture and we can see Jesus, all that he did, all the things that happened, and we can say, wow, that was amazing. But some people actually believe that when Jesus left the earth and the apostles left the earth, all that he had done stopped. And I'm here to tell you that no, it didn't stop greater things will you do than he did because he sent the Holy Spirit. But why would he come in this way and do this as a ruler? What that shows in that time period was that he was humble, that he was humble to do what he was about to do. God wants to change your life He wants to change your family. He wants to change it all. And he's not coming in to blow it up. He's coming in as a humble servant to fix what needs to be fixed. So Jesus is declaring that he is the Messiah in many different avenues. If the religious people wanted, if the scholars wanted to see him as the Messiah, they could see him because they could go back to Zechariah and Isaiah. If the modern people wanted to see him as the Messiah, he's riding on a colt. Every person that was going to interact with him, whether religious or secular, could look at him in that moment riding in on a colt and say, he's a ruler, he's the Messiah, he's the king. No one could question it. And I'm here to say that in this house, when God shows up, as he is right now, and he's changing your life, there is no way that people can deny that he's here and that he wants to help you and he wants to heal you. He was bold. He was bold. Now, the intricacies of how all this worked out, we're going to dig into for a moment because I believe that they saw him as a king and they spoke about him as a king, but I don't think they believed he was a king. Verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before him and those who followed him cried out saying, Hosanna is Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means I beg you to save me. I beg you to save me. It also means, deliver me, help me, save us now. As he rides into the city, many, many, many multitudes of people are shouting, deliver me, save me, save me now. That's the posture of the heart. Can you believe there's, there's a celebrity coming into town and somebody lets you know that they're coming into town and you go there and you get caught up in the frenzy of what's happening in this, in this moment and you start to begin to say things that the crowd is shouting and you're saying in this moment here the people that didn't even know who Jesus was are saying, save me, deliver me, king. I love that people got caught up in that. Oh, that people in this day and age would begin to say his name and say, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. So Hosanna, that word, if you turn with me to Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verse 25 says this. Save now, I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Same word that they're shouting. Same word that they're declaring over Jesus. Psalm 118, verse 25 Save now, Hosanna, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. They're declaring that He is the Savior. Now, my question was in reading the scripture, how many people were just there because they knew of Jesus? How many people were there because they actually loved Jesus? And how many people were there just because the crowd was there? Many people in this day and age come to a church because there's a crowd there. Many people come because they know about this Jesus guy and other people come because they're in relationship with him. You see, we don't have a, 5,000 seat auditorium we don't have a 30 person band we don't have the smoke machine and the lights but one thing we do have is Jesus and I can't offer you all that and we don't even desire to offer you all that but one thing we do desire is that every time you come you meet him so I'm not apologizing for all of that I'm saying this is what we got this is what you need and this is what the world needs they need less smoke and lights and more Jesus They need less association with the thought of Jesus and more relationship with Jesus. They need less 30-minute sermons and more connection and community with Jesus. That's what is needed in this world. We want revival. Revival is a walk with Jesus. It's not about coming here 10 days a week, right? Sometimes it seems like that during revival, like you're here for 35 days in in a week. No, it's not about that. It's not about exhausting the body. It's about relationship with Jesus. And so I do believe that there were people in the crowd that had a relationship with Jesus. We can read about that. But my assessment is is that more people were there because they knew about him. Maybe they saw him, maybe they saw something that he did. And then I think there was a large group that just came because he was a celebrity. I mean, somebody walks around the town, one of you walk around Dover, and people are getting out of their caskets and people are walking out of the nursing homes and people are walking out of the hospitals, which should be happening, by the way, just saying, should be happening. Yeah. I think that people would start showing up when you came in the room, right? Not sure what the motive would be on that, but they would come to see you because you're actually walking out what Jesus called us to do. Let's go down to verse 10. Matthew 21:10. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, now listen, the three million people, that weren't, some of them weren't even at the road, the whole city was in an uproar. And they're saying, who is this? Why is this happening? What is going on? And it says, the multitudes that were there with him said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So what happens next? They're actually declaring that he's the king. They're actually declaring that this is, this is some good stuff and, and you, you should be around him because something's gonna happen to you. That's why people come to church that love Jesus because they know when they're around him in other people, something's gonna happen. Expectation is the breeding ground for miracles. If you haven't seen a miracle, check your expectation level. Every time we walk in this room, I'm expecting to see somebody healed. I'm expecting to see somebody get a demon cast off of them. I'm expecting somebody to go home free. But you only get what you expect to get. So I want to continue on with the story. We'll come back to this. But just know that there are some different levels of people that are in Jerusalem that are sort of flowing with Jesus right now, right? Right? Just like in every church around America, there's some different levels of people. It's okay. It's okay. Jesus didn't rebuke them and say, you're just here because I'm a celebrity, did he? No. It's okay. People are around. But I want to show you what can happen if you're not in the camp doing it the way that Jesus wants you to do it. So turn with me to Matthew 27. Now, a lot of stuff happens, and I encourage you to go read it. I don't know that I'll get to it today. But from chapter 1 to chapter 27, there is a lot that happens that leads to what we're going to talk about in 27. But you're going to have to go read it. So, Matthew 27, verse 15. Now, the feast. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, they had gathered together. When they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Interesting. Envy. Envy was the motivation in which Jesus was turned over. They couldn't find anything wrong with what he did. All throughout his ministry, they tried to pin him on this. They tried to pin him on that. They couldn't find anything. So they said that he went against the Roman culture, and that's why they did it, and they were envious of what he did. So let's keep reading. Verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him saying, "Sent to him, saying, have nothing to do with this just man, For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Every man, listen to your wife. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Okay, now, remember last week we talked about uh, different types of offenses. And the last one, the last offense that we talked about was a purposeful offense. The first two, you know, the imaginary one, you gotta get rid of that because that's just your brain doing stupid stuff, right? Okay, and then you got the accidental one because the person really didn't mean it, but you took offense to it and you gotta get rid of that one because that's your problem too. The third one is the purposeful offense. That one, is, that one happens to you because that person wants to derail you from what God has for you. So we know there's those three types of offenses. Did we catch up from last week? Okay, now I want to read this verse again, and I want you to think about which one this is. But the chief priest, verse 20, but the chief priests, who are these people? The pastors, right? (laughs) These are the leaders of the deal. And the elders, the people who are qualified to be elders in the church, persuaded the multitudes. Remember we talked about you can... You can nurture that offense. You can host that offense. You can, you can massage that offense. But when you distribute that offense, you're, you're at fault with all of it. You gotta go back and repair it all because the, the repair is as broad as the offense. These are the leaders of the church. And they're saying, the multi, they persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. They're offended at Jesus. Go back and read the first 20 five six chapters they're offended at Jesus and what did that offense do they harbored it for a long time they tried to pin it on him they tried to do all this stuff they couldn't get him and in this moment all these religious leaders are saying we need to kill Jesus release Barabbas and they were going around the crowd spreading that offense with every single person there many of those people mind you were the people that were only in the city with Jesus because they heard about him and because he was a celebrity how many times in the church do people in the church spread the nonsense of offense with people outside the church and the people outside the church make decisions about what goes on in the church and they were never there? The governor answered and said to them, verse 21, which of the two of you want me to release you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, "When then shall I do? What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ?" They all said to him, "Let him be crucified." Then the governor said, "Why? What evil has he done?" But they cried out all the more, saying, "Crucify him." When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, "I am innocent of the blood of a just person you see to it and all the people answered and said his blood will be on us and on our children when you begin to spin offense whether it be you and one other person whether it be you and your family whether it be you and your work whether it be whoever you spread that offense to the iniquity of that offense is on you on them and the only way to take care of it Is to release it from yourself, to go and uh, take care of it with everyone that has been influenced and surrender it to the Lord. They were okay to hold all of that because they were envious of Jesus. So then he released Barabbas to them and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified Sunday, Hosanna the King. Friday, crucify Him, crucify Him. It's a slippery slope. You can be with Jesus, you can be in His presence, you can be around Him, you can consider Him a celebrity, but you have to watch because offense is always around, and offense will always stop you from meeting Him. And it will always take you further than you ever wanted to go. You see, I don't think that this world today is any different than that day. We have many people who see Jesus as an attraction. They, they come to church because he's an attraction and maybe I'll get what I want. They see Jesus as a, as a token to be able to carry with them. You see, as an attraction, people were always talking about him. They were always making some hype about him. But if you meet Jesus and believe that he's an attraction, it's because you've listened to the world about what he can give you, not who he is. And so we have this watered-down gospel all around the world, mostly here, but all around the world, that doesn't take much. We just show up and Jesus shows up and, oh, we might get touched. But that will lead to offense. You see, The people that were there were shouting, Hosanna, King of Kings, save us, save me, do all this. But you see, I think that they were looking for a different kind of salvation than what Jesus brings. And I believe that in this day and age, there's many people looking for a different salvation than what Jesus actually brings to the table. You see, they were looking for a salvation that was going to overturn the Roman government. They were looking for a political solution, not a spiritual solution. And we have many people even in the church and you can look at any social media. You can watch anything from the church and there's many people that are looking for a political solution when Jesus wants to bring them a spiritual solution. Now I'm a political guy. I love it. But Jesus is here to bring a spiritual healing to this world. He'll use politics, I truly believe it. But he wants to heal the world. He wants to bring the salvation that he brings, not the salvation that we desire. And so there's many people that are so disappointed that the thing that they wanted from Jesus did not actually come in the way that they wanted it. Maybe they didn't get healed or their their family member still passed away or whatever it is. They didn't get what they wanted from Jesus and what happens in that moment will determine the rest of your life. On Sunday, the salvation that the people wanted was their own selfish desire to make their life easier. Because if Jesus, if Jesus comes in and he changes the government, we're going to have an easy life. Are we hearing anything that we hear today? They were only interested in the temporary, worldly outworking of their desire. How can we make life easier on us? If this is the dude that's going to do that, then I'm going to go lay down branches, take off my coat, throw it on the ground. He's going to get everything that I've ever wanted. John 6:26. Jesus answered, this is about the bread of heaven, you can read the whole chapter, but Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Many people stayed with Jesus, worshiped Jesus, hung out with Jesus, because when they met with him, he filled their belly. We have many people in the world today that hang out with Jesus because when they get connected with him, their belly gets filled but there's no relationship with him. And so they feel full, but they're very soon empty. I love me a buffet now and then. And I can be so full whenever I go to lunch with some of you and just eat and eat and eat. And then come 5.30, 6.30, 7 o'clock, I'm hungry again. And I thought I ate enough for the whole week. But I'm hungry. You see, people come to meet Jesus and they get filled with food. Is it truth? Yes. But is it relationship? No. The only thing that can keep you full is to be in a relationship with him, not a, not a oh, he's over there and I'll go to him when I want something. They were shouting for him to do something that they wanted in their lives. Have you ever been there? Saying, I give everything to Jesus, I need this. They wanted him to change their physical circumstance. They wanted him to change their their economic circumstance. They wanted him to change all these things. But that's not what he was here for. He was here for a relationship with every single one of them. And we know that because he found the most obscure people in the most obscure places, and he sat with them. And he heard all their junk. And then he told them all the stuff that he knew about them, which was everything. And then, in the end, he said, now go and be whole. Go and be whole. That was his desire. When Jesus is riding in on the donkey on his triumphal entry, his desire is that all those millions of people would actually meet him, would actually be transformed, and they would be whole. His desire, remember we said things that offend believers today? Number one thing that offends believers is we don't understand the Old Testament curses that we live in a new covenant with better promises, people still hold out this angst against the Lord because of something that, because they're so religious, they keep to the Old Testament, they don't realize we have a new covenant. He's for us, not against us. He's not taking us. He's not hurting us. He's not giving us sickness because he wants to teach us something. So they get caught up in all of that and they miss the relationship. Buckle, no, don't buckle up. Stand up if he says something to you. But when things don't turn out your way, what did Jesus tell his disciples? Offenses will come. So, what happens when you pray for that person over and over and over and over and over and you don't see them healed? I smell cheese. Be careful, offenses will come. What happens when the thing that you've desired so much just doesn't play out? Offenses will come. So, what happened to them? They're expecting this Jesus to come and take over the Roman government to eliminate all the laws that are persecuting them and holding them back and they'll be in a better financial situation. They won't have to pay the taxes of the Roman Empire. They're going to have all these things and then it doesn't happen. In a five-day stretch, three million people in the city, don't know how many people were actually there, don't really care at this point. There were three groups of people, the people that thought he was a celebrity, the people that had just heard about him, and the people that actually knew him don't matter how many there were, but what happened was they got offended with God because they didn't get what they wanted. But I want this situation in my life to be different and it doesn't happen. I want this, this major hurt to be changed and it doesn't happen. Well, there's lots of reasons because the heavens are the Lord's and the earth he has given to man. Every other person in your life actually has a choice. Amen. You see, we get, so, we get so self-righteous that we can control everybody and control everything. I don't like how this situation's working, so I'm going to complain about it and I'm going to do everything in my power to change it. Well, you're not going to change the person. It's not your job. It's your job to submit to the Lord, and if he says to say something, you better say it, because that may be the thing that changes the person. But if he says to shut your mouth, shut your mouth. But you don't hear the Lord, we don't hear the Lord, because we're not in relationship with him. So we don't even hear what we're supposed to say. So in a five-day stretch, they go from save us, king, to crucify him. My concern is that the church is in the five-day window. There is a day that is coming when the bride is supposed to be pure and white and ready to receive the bridegroom. And there's a five-day stretch where you're gonna choose where you are in this place. And I believe we're in the five days. I don't know when it's coming, okay? No man knows the hour, but I know it's coming. I know it's coming, and we're in this five-day stretch, and Jesus is saying, don't be offended. What did he say to John the Baptist? John says, is it you, or should we look for somebody else? He gives him scripture, which is awesome, and then he says, but don't be offended in me. So Jesus said, don't be offended in him, and we got a five-day window that we're somewhere in that window. Some people think we're at four days and, you know, 23 hours. I don't know where we are in the window, but what I do know is we have a choice to make, we have a choice to make. Are we going to be the people who just associate with Jesus? Are we going to be the people that think he's an attraction? Or are we going to be the people that actually have a relationship with him? Because I can tell you that all three of those groups were not at the cross. In fact, I read in the story at what happened at the cross, and there was a handful of women who had a relationship with him who he radically changed their lives, and forever they could never be away from him because he was so good. But the other three million people, in that five-day stretch, they got offended with God. Now you say, what does that mean, pastor? It means the obstacles, the setbacks, the dreams, the goals that can only be made possible with God They didn't happen for them. It didn't happen. And so they didn't show up. They didn't defend him. They just went about their lives. Their offense killed Jesus. And I believe that even in this room, There are many people that are pursuing Jesus for what he can give you and I'm telling you please guard your heart because I don't know when the window ends but what I do know is in the end when it's all over your choice will be locked in it'll be a done deal And you ain't going to change it. And so all the things that you carry, all the weights and the burdens and the setbacks and the dreams and the broken goals and all those things that you carry, maybe you're of the Old Testament mind and it's all Jesus' fault. I hear laughter all over the room. I'm telling you, there are people here that are holding on to the Old Testament more than they're holding on to Jesus. And the woman with the issue of blood had read in scripture that healing is on his wings. Do you want to know why she touched his cloak? Because when he had it over him, walking, down at the bottom, there's these fringes and they're called wings. And the Old Testament said there is healing in his wings. She didn't need to go up and hug him. She just needed to touch that little thing on the bottom and I was going to be healed. Oh, that we would have faith like her. So what happened in the middle? What happened in the five days? Turn back with me. We're going to do this quickly. Go back to 21, Matthew 21. And I'm just going to read the titles of the stories between Matthew 21 and Matthew 27. Now, I want you to read the whole deal because Jesus shows up and it's amazing but I'm just going to read the titles in my Bible so that you understand what happened from these people are associated with Jesus, these people, he's a celebrity, these people love Jesus, to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. This is what happened in that five days. Jesus cleanses the temple. The fig tree withered. The lesson of the withered fig tree. Jesus' authority is questioned. The parable of the two sons. The parable of the wicked vine dresser. The parable of the wedding feast. The Pharisees, it's it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. The Sadducees, what about the resurrection? The scribes, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus, how did David call his descendant Lord? Woe to the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus laments over Jerusalem, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple, the signs of the times and the end of the age, the great tribulation, the coming of the son of man, the parable of the fig tree, no one knows the day or the hour, the faithful servant of the evil faithful servant and the evil servant, the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, the parable of the talents The Son of Man will judge the nations, the plot to kill Jesus, the anointing at Bethany. Judas agrees to betray Jesus. Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. Jesus predicts Peter's denial, the prayer in the garden, betrayal, arrest in Gethsemane. Jesus faces the Sanhedrin. Peter denies Jesus and weeps bitterly. Somewhere in that five-day period, millions of people got offended with Jesus. Where are you? Are you offended if he comes into the church and turns over everything? I'm asking. Just so you're aware, our team has said, Lord, do what you want. Flip it over. Turn it upside down. Doesn't matter. Your will, your way, your anointing. We're here to serve. So if that offends you, Then you get worked up about the color of the carpet or what music is played or you don't agree with the lighting or whatever. It doesn't matter. We gotta work on this, guys. We gotta be mature. Romans 9. I'm gonna close with this. But this is probably of all the stuff I've said to this point on this topic, probably the most important. So please write it down and please read it. Romans 9, verses 30 through 33. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. Do you hear the tone? The Gentiles get it and they didn't even have to be righteous? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. Old Testament. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written... Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You see the heart of this? I believe that this scripture, this, these few verses right here, is what was happening in between that five-day period. People were offended at the grace of God. And maybe you are this morning. You have been praying for 25 years to see this thing happen and somebody walks into the church, they've been here for four weeks, they missed three of them because they had other stuff going on and they show up and God delivers them exactly what you've been praying for. And what happens? You have a choice. You have a choice. Am I offended with God? Am I offended with man? Do I have envy over that? You've desired this car for a long time. You know what color it is. You know what mileage it has on it, hopefully zero. And, and it's, got the right, it's got the right trim, right Roger? It's got everything you could ever desire in that car. You've been praying for it. You've been saving for it. You've got everything planned out for this thing. And on Sunday morning, some little punk at 26 years old comes driving in in it. You have a choice. You have a choice. You see, the church has been so bound up with envy. The church has been so bound up with offense that we aren't seeing what we've been asking for, not because God doesn't want to give it because he's really, really good. We aren't seeing what we want to see Because we're blinded by offense. And the problem is, people are dying because we're offended. You see, people believe, and I know this is hard to believe because we're a Pentecostal church and it's 2022, but people still believe that they have to earn God's love. And that they don't deserve righteousness. If this is hitting you, just hold on because I'm telling you, God wants to touch you this morning. People believe that they have to earn God's love. That's Old Testament. They have to deserve righteousness. They believe that their holiness allows them to be accepted by God. You're never gonna be that holy. And they're offended When people are loved and accepted by God based on his grace through faith. You see, I believe that the three groups of people got offended at God, not just because of what he did and all those things that I just read. They got offended at God because Jesus didn't care who you were. He didn't care how broken you were. He didn't care what you carried with you. He didn't care how you smelled. He didn't care how you looked. He came to you, and if you received him, you got everything. You got everything. You are whole. And so we have a church that can get offended when people come and they receive everything because of their faith in Jesus and they're open. And the church gets offended because we're closed and we're Old Testament minded that we can't deserve it. You'll never deserve it. Jesus is the only way that you can receive all that you are desiring. So it's offense to the legalist. Are you calling me a legalist if it fits? It is offense to the legalist that thinks he's doing everything right. I had to write this down so I didn't say it wrong. It's offensive to the legalist that thinks he's doing everything right to get something from God for somebody who cries out on the mercy of God and receives what they are trying to earn freely by God's grace. It's offensive. If you're doing the work, if you're doing it just because you need to do it, if you're associating with Jesus because somewhere in the end you're gonna get something that you desire, you're gonna be offended when people walk in and just receive freely everything that he has. Why? Because it offends them. Some of you in this room have been offended by God and at God because you're believing, you're working, you're slaving, you're trusting, you're praying, you're interceding, you're doing all these things. You're believing for the thing that you've been asking for forever and you haven't seen it happen. Somebody else gets it. Somebody else sees the breakthrough. You can actually be sitting in church, associating with Jesus, thinking he's a celebrity, and even walking with him, and be offended. So I guess to sum all that up, people can be offended with the grace of God. If you want to see transformation in your life leading up to Easter, I'm going to give you a challenge. Some of you have already done this. I've had phone calls with you. I've had lunches with you. You've already told me that you're already doing this. and Praise the Lord. But if you have not, in the last five weeks, sat down with the Lord for a couple hours, but Pastor, a couple hours, If you can't get by the 10-minute prayer thing to get to more, then yes, a couple hours. Maybe you need a few days. Listen, I'm asking you, would you sit down for a couple of hours? There's a little button on the side of your phone. Then when you hold it in, the thing goes black. It's amazing. Hold the button down. Don't hit dial 911. Hold the button down, swipe to the thing, and turn it off. Take it and put it in your car outside of your house. Walk back into your house. Pick up your Bible and your notebook. Go to a quiet place and sit down with Jesus. This week, you've got five days. Sit down with Jesus and I want you to talk to him. I want you to ask him some questions. The first one is, Am I offended with you? Am I offended with you? Now, some of you, this may be a, a two and a half hour deal. Some of you, we may see you next Sunday and you're still doing it. I don't know. Some people have 70 years of offenses they have to work through. I'm just telling you. Believe me, I've had the phone calls. I get it. So the first question is, am I offended with you? After you get all that out of your system, and I don't mean you just write it down. I mean you actually deal with it, everybody. Like like you say, Lord, oh, I'm offended with you about this. Okay, show me how to release that. Show me how to never carry that offense at, at you ever again. I don't ever want to go back to this place. And he'll tell you. Number two Am I offended with a person? Because God said don't be offended with man or with him. So am I offended with a person? Some of you, this will be three pages. Mine was two and a half. Just being honest. Mine was two and a half pages. And then you sit down with him and he gives you all those names. And by the way, offenses oftentimes are under the ground. You don't know until he shows you, and then you gotta dig it up and deal with it. So you you write all that down, and you write all those names down, and is this the hit list? No, (laughs) it's not the hit list. No, no, no. This is the list in which you go back to the Lord, and you say, Lord, I'm offended at X, Y, Z, whatever their name is, and, uh, and I don't wanna carry that anymore. I wanna release them, and I wanna release me, and they probably don't even know that this happened. So I want it gone. And as you do that, what's going to happen is you're going to feel things come off of you, and I'm saying tangibly feel things come off of you, not just imaginary things. Like You're going to feel weights come off of you. Your shoulders are going to go back further. Okay? And then the third thing is, Lord, teach me in this moment how to build a life that I am unoffendable from this point forward. Show me personally how to set up my life structure so that I am unoffendable because we know offenses will come. Some of you are offended this morning. It's fine. I'll be on your list. Offenses will come. How, Lord, do I deal with them in a healthy way so that I'm not held up like I've been? those three questions and then when you've taken care of all that on friday when you remember what happened i want you to take all that stuff to the cross never more to pick it up ever again it's gone the offenses with those people are gone. When you see them on the street, when you see them wherever, you have no feeling. You're still wise because it could be a serpent. Just saying. I'm just saying. You gotta be wise. You can't just be like, oh, that person blank, blank, blank me 20 years ago and I've forgiven them and everything's good and I don't feel that angst anymore, but you're not gonna go hang out with them right? We're going to use some wisdom here. But what I'm saying is we have to lay that stuff at the cross. Never more to pick it up. And then you're doing all this on your own, like I'm giving you the homework. Then next Sunday, when you walk in here and there's 40 other people here, because they're going to come next Sunday. (laughs) It's the week they come. Maybe there's 100 other people here. We're going to have a couple hundred people that are free. Is that exciting? Like, we're going to have people in this room that are going to worship like they've never worshiped before. Because all the weight that you've carried for decades is going to be gone. All the control that you've tried to manipulate other people to get what you want, it's all going to be gone. And you're going to walk in here. And there's going to be a freedom like you've never felt before. And you're going to be dancing around. You're going to be running around. You're going to be hugging people. You're going to be like, oh, I didn't even know. They were on the list. (laughs) Now I can actually look at them in the face. I don't have to avoid them in the lobby. And it's going to be a whole new church. There is a price that is paid for freedom in every case. Are you willing to pay it? Because Jesus was willing to heal everyone, but he went to his home city and he began to heal people. And then somebody in the back row stood up and said, Isn't that Joseph's son? And faith left the room, and no one else was healed. Are you going to be healed, changed, transformed, never more to go back to the self-righteous living and be ready to worship the risen Savior next Sunday? Would you stand with me? Father today we thank you for truth we thank you Lord that you have the best interest for every single person in this room and the ultimate best interest in mind is that every person in this room would have a relationship with you they wouldn't view you as a As a celebrity, they wouldn't view you as an acquaintance, but they would view you as a father and a friend. So, Lord, today in this moment, today in this moment, I ask, Holy Spirit, would you move upon this people like you've never moved on each person before? Would you illuminate the dark spaces? Would you heal the broken hearts? Would you repair the broken minds? Lord, would you change destinies this morning? We often talk about miracles. The greatest miracle of all is for someone to say, I've been an acquaintance. I've been around him, but I don't know him. I don't know him. In this window, in this five-day window, I believe and in faith I've been declaring that more people will come to know the love of Jesus in this city than ever before. But that starts in this room right now. So Father, right now, we pause for you to move. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? If you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or maybe you've done that and you need to redo it because some things have changed in your life, then today is the day. You cannot go through the process that I described to you over the next five days if you're not in a relationship with him. So if that's you this morning, then this morning is your day and I want you to come forward and we're gonna pray with you as you surrender to him. If you enjoyed today's message, I would like to encourage you to like it and share it on all social media platforms or jump on the website, thesummitdover.com or the app and click the giving link and help us continue to share the message of the kingdom across the world. God bless you and have an awesome week.